Welcome back to Coaches on the Beach. Today we have the head man from Cal Poly Beach Volleyball, Todd Rogers. Three-time Coach of the Year in the Big West, and many of you may know about his time in the AVP and his Olymp Olympic runs. Todd, it's great to have you on the show. Well, guys, thanks for having me. really appreciate it. Yeah. I guess uh, the thing that everybody will want to know about, right, is we'll kind of start with your playing career and, and maybe the uh, the nickname, right, the professor. Uh, how did that kind of get started? Um, what sparked it? And, and do you like it? Do you think it fits you? Is that your thing? Uh, I do like it, actually. I, I do think it kind of fits you. I'm, I'm kind of a quiet guy. Got a lot more uh, white and gray now, so it fits a little bit better in terms of the look. Um, actually, Geeter... Uh, Chris McGee, Geeter, gave me that nickname, gosh, I want to say like back in 2000 or somewhere in there. Um, and it just kind of stuck. Uh, and he used to always say, oh, you got this, you got like a black book inside your head of all the other players and uh, you're the professor. And so then it just kind of started to be that we had this whole thing where we like bowed to each other like senseis or something like that. Um, yeah, it was fun. I, I liked it. People thought it was cool. And uh you know, it was, uh, I'd say it described me pretty dang well, um, just the way that I played the game, which is more of a cerebral style than a, uh, you know, I'm going to out-physical you style. So uh, I embraced it and have ran with it ever since. Yeah. Did you first meet Geeter uh, when he was playing at Northridge and you were at Santa Barbara, or was it uh, after on the beach scene that you guys kind of got more familiar? I uh, got more familiar on the beach scene, but technically my – San Marcos high school team beat his Crespi high school team in CIF playoffs in the I think first or second or third round, something like that. When uh, he, I think he was a senior and I was a sophomore. Um, and so, I mean, we didn't know each other at all, um, but he always, he has brought that up multiple times. Uh, and then of course he was at Northridge and I didn't know him great, um, but you know, you know, of each other. And then of course he became an announcer down the road on the AVP and got to know him really well then. Yeah. And as a Santa Barbara guy, I imagine you probably played or a San Marcos guy, right? You played some uh, beach volleyball probably before college. What was the transition like of like, all right, I'm going to go play NCAA indoor and then afterwards beach is my game? Or did you think about trying indoor overseas? Did you play? Yeah, I've been living in Santa Barbara. You're right. I, I was playing beach volleyball my freshman year uh, or after my freshman high school year. Uh, my High school coach was a guy named John Lee, uh, you know, well-known in beach volleyball circles. Uh, he's I don't know, probably mid-70s now, um, but his brother was Greg Lee, and they're, you know, big beach volleyball family. And so he took all of us freshman boys. We had a pretty good team, actually, ended up winning CIF our senior year, uh, and basically told us, look, if you guys want to get good at, at volleyball, you guys should all go down to East Beach, go play there every every day over the summer. You'll get so much better. You'll get lots of touches. It's a lot of fun. And he threw in the carrot of, uh, you know, and by the way, there's a bunch of girls in bikinis down there. And, uh, of course, you know, totally sell, sells 14-year-old uh, boys on, on that kind of stuff. And we did. We actually, we totally owned it. We went down almost every day. One mom would put us all in a van and drop us all off, be down there all day long. And then another mom would come and pick us all up. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And something that I, I grew to love. And yes, I did look into potentially playing overseas after college, um, had some potential offers in Germany and some other places in Europe, but none that were, I mean, like 30 grand, 40 grand, like in that area, nothing that was amazing to me. Uh, and I really did want to play beach. 
I also got engaged to be married my senior year and then got uh, married the the following year um, to to my wife of about a million years now. She's over there laughing at me. <laughs> uh, uh, what are we now? 20, uh, 27 years, 26 years, 27, going to be 27 years. Um, so yeah, uh, it just didn't make sense for me to go overseas. I, I, I wanted to play on the AVP. I you know, got my AAA in high school and yeah, it was just, that, that was more enjoyable to me than, than playing indoor. So that, that ended up being the path. Yeah, you found a job that might have kept you out of the house more than playing overseas uh, by by playing on the world tour and and traveling around, right? So Grand Slam, so you started out with Dax, right? You and Dax Aldrin started out together. Um, What was kind of, how did you guys decide, all right, you know what, we're going to go for FIVB. Was that the plan right out the gate? Or did we start with, hey, let's play some AVPs. Oh, hey, we're we're pretty good at this, right? You think you win Minneapolis and... And are looking at that kind of deal and then you're like all right let's go try fivb or was it all at the same time no it was definitely a progression uh he and i had played together since uh going into my junior year in high school and he was a year older than me so he was going into his senior year in high school and we were both at san marcus high school uh and so we just we kind of just grew up getting our our a our double a our triple a um in high school and then eventually became the number one team on the CBVA amateur tour, whatever they call that, AAA. And we played in a couple of like Manhattan Beach Opens and qualified and took a 25th. And that was back when they had 64 teams in the tournament, pretty big tournament. Uh, and so it was kind of just a natural progression. Once I graduated, it's like, yeah, let's let's take a crack at this. There was actually an AVP qualifier tour. Uh, and so there was, I think, six stops or seven stops. We played in all those stops and qualified top six players i think qualified and we were uh in that top six and uh and the following year in 97 we were on avp tour the whole time uh we did play in one fivb that was in la uh that year got a ninth um 98 didn't do any i don't think and then 99 played in like i don't know with one in toronto we kind of just dabbled a little bit and then in 2000 uh, kind of on a lark we just went down to rosarito mexico uh, and we, I don't even think we had any points and, but we got into the qualifier. And so we just drove down and we're like, oh, we'll have a good time. It's Rosarito. It's two hours past the border, uh, not too far from, from Santa Barbara. And we ended up, uh, we were the, I don't know, 30, 30 something seed in the qualifier qualified, um, and then took down Ricardo and Zamarco who were the number one seed in the tournament, uh, and then just kept going and ended up winning the tournament. Uh, and then after, so we, we had a lot of points then. USA Volleyball started encouraging us to to go play. <laughs> um, and uh, so we, we played in a couple more, got some points. Uh, and then that same year, the AVP kind of took one of its tumbles uh, in 2000. And so then 2001, uh, we had, there were a few AVP events, but we went overseas and just started grinding on the FIVB tour qualifiers, you know, the whole, you know, like we earned our chops. We, we played in I think eight qualifiers in a row qualified every single weekend. Um, and it was a, it was, a, I, I promised myself that I, I would never do that again. Uh, I promised my wife that uh, my kids were only, well, my daughter was one. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, that was brutal. Uh, I, I won't ever do that one again. Four weeks is now after that, my max, uh, I wouldn't, I mean, I guess if you're just a single guy having fun and just living life out in Europe and seeing it, it would be really cool. And it sounds pretty glamorous, but when you got a wife and a child at home and it becomes a little bit brutal. So, uh, and then, so, yeah, after that, just playing both AVP and FIVB. 
Yeah, uh, it makes a lot of sense that you mentioned beforehand that you like pressure games because if I was playing eight qualifiers in a row, each one being, all right, great, well, I forked over another grand to be here this week or another two grand to be here yeah. this week. Uh, oh, and if I lose this match, I get zilch. I get nothing. Um, you you like the pressure, and it showed out and had a ton of success. And so you and Dax kind of have gotten your start on the FIVB. What what sparked the switch over to Sean, the, the big Hawaiian guy? Uh, you know, Dax and I were really good childhood friends. And um, when we first started playing, uh, I was the better player. Uh, and then uh, as we continued to play, he actually surpassed me and became the better player uh, come like, 2000 2001 that that area and um, our friendship was starting to suffer on because of the on-court stuff and uh, and so then after the 2001 season uh, I we just we both are like hey this isn't worth it um we're we're good we're we'd had all we've had success all the way through but we had we kind of had some baubles in 2001 um and so I think just for our friendship like we just kind of went, you know, let's 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 move on to different partners. And also the court size changed uh, from 2000 to 2001. So we were we were really good on the big court. Hammer jump spins, uh, pass well, set well. Both of us could block at 6'2", six, 6'3", six, but we're also good pullers and defenders. And, you know, back then it was you you scored points with serving first, defense and transition second, and then blocking third. So the game was well suited to both of our talents. And then of course, when it became short court, eventually now it was, you know, really blocking was the number one uh, and then defense and serving. And now defense and serving are kind of comparable, I'd say, but you really need a big blocker up there to, I mean, it's just the reality of the, of the sport. So it was kind of an inevitable thing that we would both move on. He moved on to Eric Fanoy. Uh, they were good friends and a good team together. And then I played with Sean looking for a, a bigger blocker at that point in time. And he was, believe it or not, a big blocker at six, five, um, <laughs> even though now that's not really that big anymore, but back then he was the big, you know, one of the big blockers. Um, so that, that was what basically prompted the switch over was the court size. And then trying to keep a friendship intact, um, that was having some tough times on court. You guys made that switch. Did you guys ever see each other in tournaments? Did you ever play against each other? Do you know your record? against each other yeah i don't know the record um i mean i know when he you know when when he and i split you know fanoi was at the at a peak you know he had just won the olympics in 2000 um and so he was playing good ball and they were they were a good team together they i think they won a couple of tournaments that year sean and i didn't win until i want to say like 2004 um, so I don't think, I don't think we won in 2002 or 2003, but Dax and E were winning in 2002 and 2003. And then they ended up splitting as well. Um, I actually, I don't remember. I, I'm pretty sure his, his record with E versus Sean and I was probably better would be my guess. Um, as switches were made, then my, maybe my record was a little bit better. Um, as I, certainly as I played with Phil and as Sean and I got better too, um, but yeah, in the beginning, it definitely, he was a better player at that point in time. And, you know, he had surpassed me and uh, I give him credit. He, he was a good player and would have been, continued to be a good player, but his, his knees and his shoulder were starting to give him some some issues. Yeah. I think uh, one of the most interesting storylines, right? And Sean Scott has unfortunately played the toughest role in a couple of Olympic qualifiers, right? Of you guys were, I think, fourth in the world. Uh, going heading into Athens, the 2004 Olympics, uh, and didn't 
quite make it right because of the uh, country quota system. All right. So can you tell folks that don't maybe know so much about Olympic qualifying um, what that difference is and, and how it kind of came to be that one of the top five best teams in the world doesn't get to be in the Olympics? Yeah, I, I actually don't remember the ranking. Um, I don't know if it was quite that high. Um, I mean, it was probably top 10. Um, but there were two American teams that were ahead of us. And in the Olympics, uh, you're only allowed two teams from any given country. Uh, the only time that's ever been different is in the 96 Olympics when there were two Americans. And because we were also the host and it was the first Olympics, they allowed a third American um, men's and women's team into the Olympics. Uh, it's it's a it's a grueling schedule. Uh, it's changed over time. It used to be eight. Now it's twelve tournaments that you have to have played in accrue points based on those tournaments. Some tournaments are bigger, so they have more points. Um, some tournaments are smaller, so they have less. But either way, you just take your top currently your top twelve, and it's from January first of uh, the year before the Olympics. So if the Olympics are in twenty twenty four, then Olympic qualifying would start in twenty twenty three. So for like all the guys this year, all the gals there, however many tournaments they have this year. And then it usually goes till June, middle of June or towards the end of June is the last event uh, for Olympic qualifications. So it's kind of an over almost an 18 month period. Uh, and it's, it is a grind. Uh, Misty and Carrie did it best. They, they just, they grinded that year before the Olympics and their goal was always to already pretty much lock it in. And obviously they were really, really good. Um, so they did that uh, pretty <laughs> much every time, uh, but then they were smart and they, they actually took a ton of time off. Um, and then the year of the Olympics and they, you know, they made sure they hit the big tournaments uh, so that they were always prepped, saw the latest, the greatest, the, the new teams that were coming out, et cetera. Um, but they were always super fresh uh, at the Olympics. And Phil and I were very fortunate to do that in 2007. We had, seven international events we did really well we were pretty much a lock we just had to have an eighth event um, and we did the same thing we took off we played a lot of avp and just kind of didn't do a lot of traveling and rested the body but it is a grind i mean the guys and the gals that are going through it right now you just keep grinding and grinding and grinding and kind of put your head down and go yeah and, and i think you know talking about that run with you and phil um, you guys became the first u.s men's team to ever win world champs yep. uh, in 07 now that was that is currently an auto qualifier. Was it in 07? Was it an auto bid to the Olympics as well? Okay. So it was just a ton of points, which helps yes. but obviously a ton. Um, I think I was talking to triple J and when her and um, when they took second at world champs, she was like, it's pretty much enough points to clinch us an Olympic berth. Um, but still that's, you know, history books, uh, let alone first or, you know, getting to win world championships and be that first men's team. Um, so you took a bunch of time off in 08. Did you guys play some AVP still that year uh, and then catch a couple of Grand Slams? We did. Uh, we kind of just focused on, I think we played one event early in Brazil, maybe in like February, something like that, to get our eighth event. We were healthy. Um, we were not in like the best beach volleyball shape because we were trying to peak in the Olympics. Um, I, I mean, I think we won it, um, but it was, it was a grind. Uh, but we just wanted to play in that. And then I think we didn't play one until maybe middle of June or something, early June, middle of June. We just played in a couple of AVPs, um, you know, stayed up in, in tune, really did a lot of work in the gym and uh, that kind of, you know, area, making sure that we we're in great shape. And then uh, went, I think, on a three-week, gosh, what was it, like 
Germany, Paris, and some maybe Austria. No, it wasn't Austria. Somewhere else. Uh, and I think we we started playing really well during that stretch. Um, and then in July, we played in a couple just to kind of see. And then that, we actually took the weekend off before the Olympics. There was an event in San Diego, an event in Austria, but we just took it off. Um, so we were well rested, ready to roll, hungry. Um, so yeah, the the way we we pulled it off uh, worked pretty well. Yeah, I mean you still have to play in the tournaments because that's how you make your money and you have sponsors. Uh, I mean you, you guys know this, um, so you still have to play in a certain amount. But we were able to kind of pick and choose and not have to grind all over the place. Whereas I think it was Jake and Rosie and uh, I think it was Matt and Nick at the time were traveling all over the world um, to try and get as many points because they were kind of battling for sec that second spot. Yeah, and it wound up being Jake and Rosie that they yeah. got to to represent the U.S. Yeah, yeah. So then you become, uh, you know, you guys get to the Olympics in Beijing that year, uh, and make a run. What What are the big memories that stand out from, uh, well, being an Olympic gold medalist, which is pretty cool. <laughs> um, yes, it actually is pretty cool. And I, when, you, when you when you think about it, um, it took a while for actually it took years for it to truly hit in. To be honest with you, but. Uh, uh, I mean, when looking back on it, there were some, some awesome memories in there itself. Um, got to meet, you know, a bunch of presidents, um, got to go to the white house, got to meet multiple presidents in Beijing, uh, president Bush at the time, who was the sitting president came to Choyong park, uh, and which was pretty cool and came up, basically walked right up to Phil and I, I was like, Hey, Phil Todd, how you guys doing? Cause we'd met him at the white house before. And, and then it was funny cause everyone starts running over and, uh, yeah, it was an interesting, uh, very interesting there. Um, you know, we, we, we had a rough go to start. We lost to Latvia, um, who was the, the lowest seed in the tournament. They played out of their head. Uh, you know, Phil had wanted to walk in opening ceremonies and we had walked, but we had the opportunity to get out uh, of the park and not stand there for like three hours. And it was hot and humid in the bird's nest. And I elected to just jump out and go back to the hotel and, you know, watch it on my TV and then fell asleep. And we played the next evening and he didn't, and, and he didn't have any legs. Um, he was, he was struggling. Um, not like I was amazing or not, but, uh, and so that was kind of a galvanization for us. Um, and we, I mean, he turned to me in our next match, which was two days later versus Switzerland. And he basically said, Hey man, like we've done too many track workouts. We've done too many plyo workouts. We've grinded way too hard, um, not to, not to put our best foot forward. Let, let's, let's roll, um, you know, something like that. And it was actually really, you know, you guys know Phil as a different person than, than I do. He was still kind of that young maturing guy. Um, and it really was a kind of a, a in my mind, a pivotal moment where he, he matured from, you know, young player who is, become or is becoming the best in the world like in that top one two three people um to like oh yeah this is the guy he's he's the man now and uh it was just fun being a part of that uh, more as of a, from a coaching perspective in all honesty um <laughs> so that was really cool and then from there like you know phil became the beijing beast and we just kept kept rolling along and had some ups and downs we're actually down to switzerland six one um in the uh, first, first round of playoffs. I think it was first round of, uh, yeah. First round of single limb. Uh, they were on fire and, uh, and then we, we came back and ended up winning 15, 13. Um, so it was cool. My wife was there. So I got to share that with her and uh, family was there. So yeah, a, a very 
unique experience and really watch walking into opening ceremonies, walking in there. It's, it's one of the most poignant feelings. I've talked about it before to people. Um, you kind of get that sense of like, there's a lot of countries that are at war yet their athletes are there and they're all celebrating. Uh, and you can kind of see that Olympic spirit. People talk about the Olympic spirit, uh, but you really, for me, that's when it really hit home. And I went, wow, this is, this is what the Olympic spirit's about. You've got you, I don't think it was Ukraine at the time, but um, maybe it was actually. Uh, Russia was at war with someone, and uh, and I remember they were just they were all there, and they were all you know good with each other, celebrating the Olympics and being there and competing. Uh, and it wasn't about the politics and all the other crap that, that is out there. Uh, so it was very poignant. That was probably one of the most uh, poignant memories that I remember from the Olympics, uh, and how. I realized that is what the Olympic spirit is about is you forget all the other stuff and you just compete and then you congratulate one another win or lose. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really beautiful moment to, uh, to kind of realize like, Oh, there are people from everywhere that we can relate to, right. There's, there's yeah. similarities. There's that, that line, um, where we all are just humans on earth. Yeah. And it's related and the Olympics through sports, uh, it can, it can tie people in as, and we all know this, uh, but it's it was just very evident to me there. What was the moment like when they're putting the gold medal around your neck and the flag's going up, the national anthem's playing? Like, do you remember any thoughts or feelings while that was happening? Uh, I do remember, and now it still hits me um, having a lot of goosebumps seeing the flag. Um, you know, and you're you're truly you're, you're, you know, you're playing for for yourself, your family, your partner, um, his, his family, et cetera, but really you're playing for your country. Uh, and you know, now when I hear the national anthem, um, it does actually, every time it gives me a little shiver. Uh, whereas I'll be honest with you, it did not before. Um, and it's, I've told some people it's probably the closest thing you can come and I did not serve in the military. Um, but it's probably the closest thing to that feeling of, wow, I'm here literally representing my country with the flag on there. You see the flag going up, uh, playing the Star Spangled Banner because you did something, um, you, were, you were the best um, for that Olympic that Olympic run um, for your country. Uh, so yes, that, that was pretty, another poignant moment actually, uh, that even now when, when we're all together and we're competing against each other and someone sings the Star Spangled Banner, I still get chills on my back. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. Did, did you kind of know, right? Cause you guys won that third set in the gold medal match Yeah, by a hefty margin. So is there a point at like 11, four where you're sitting there like, dude, we're about to win this thing. Or are you next play the whole way? Uh, no, actually there was a point nine to one. Um, <laughs> you were up and I remember just, you know, looking at them and they were very defeated. Um, and we were obviously very jubilant. And I remember going, yeah, there's no freaking way we're losing this thing. We're going to be gold medalists. But then I checked myself and went, okay. Now I was like, hey, you know, Phil, one point at the base, he said that exactly like one point at a time. Here you go. Let's get the next one. Give me another block. Give me another block. I mean, he got like five blocks or something ridiculous <laughs> that game. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, we, we kind of went back to one point at a time mentality. Don't stop. Don't give them any momentum. Like we don't want to give them even the slightest quarter of an inch kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, at nine, one, I was like, dude, there's almost no way we're losing this barring an absolute meltdown or injury or something like that. And then went back to focus here one point at a time. Yeah. So you guys win gold, right? You're, you're a dominant 
dominant force on the the world tour for the next four years as well, right? You guys go out, um, I think 20, you have a, a big win streak, right? Maybe seven or eight FIVB events in a row. Yeah. Yeah. 2010, right? So you guys win all these events. You're in a good spot going into qualification. You guys crush qualification. I think maybe you had a slight slip up at, at world champs, um, but then are just cruising in 2012. I think win a couple to start the year, you're going to the Olympics. Uh, obviously, catch Nikolai Lupo in the in the first right. round, maybe. Um, yeah. And then is that that's it for FIVB, right? Or did you wind up playing one more year with with Ryan? I actually played kind of two more years. I played a full year with Ryan, uh, and you know he had zero to little points. <laughs> so we played, um, kind of introducing him to the world tour, uh, and he. He actually he got served every ball because he struggled to pass that ball. Um, you know he he was a hard super hard worker and worked hard to pass it. But that ball was that's when they changed the the over to kind of the current ball and float serves were gnarly with that ball or are gnarly I should say. Uh, and so he struggled a little bit to pass. I mean he obviously got better and had a a, a great little career there. Um, and then the following year I played with Theo Bruner, uh, and we played in actually quite a few, not as many, but I still think we played. I don't know, seven, eight, nine FIVB events traveled around. Um, and I might, you know, my game was slowly, slowly declining a little bit. Um, both Ryan and Theo were on the uptick. Uh, so, and then in 2015, I think I played in like two or three with Stafford. Um, and then one in, uh, in 2016, but that was just one in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. So it's kind of a no brainer. It was, we were in it. So it's like, why not play in it? So. Yeah, yeah slow, slow down on the FIVB side, for sure. Spend some more time at home, right? Your daughter, uh, Hannah, was getting older at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of sparked the decision to go to Cal Poly? So in 2000, uh, gosh, 2015, I want to say like April, May, something like that. Uh, Sam Crossan, who was a, a former friend, uh, or he's still a friend, but... Uh, former competitor. Uh, he was at UOP. I was at UCSB. And one of my best friends from high school went to UOP and became like best friends with Sam. And so then Sam moved to Santa Barbara for a year after we all graduated and we all kind of hung out and got to know each other. He called me up. He was the indoor coach there and said, Hey, we started a beach team in 2014. It's all the indoor gals. Um, you know, you're getting old. So what are you going to do uh, after you're done? You can't continue to play forever. I said, you're right. I'm, my plan is to retire in 2016. Um, I'd like to play through that that year. It makes like fiscal sense for me with sponsors, et cetera. Um, and he's like, okay, well, what do you think about in 2016? You know, just come in and you basically be the head coach. I'll technically be the head coach, but you can like run the show and see what it's like and just kind of a three month trial. And I was like, all right, sounds good. So literally, I think I was hired February 2nd. Our first duels were February 22nd or something like that. Um, so we had a couple of weeks of practice and um, enjoyed it, had a good time. Uh, I think I did have to miss something for a tournament or two, but uh, then in, uh, September 1st was hired full time because it just kind of, you know, AD was happy. Everyone was happy. Uh, and, and it was time for me to definitely be done playing. Uh, the body was was telling me the body and the mind, actually more the mind, to be honest with you. The body was still OK. The mind was just over playing and competing, I guess you could say, um, and, and grinding. 
So yeah, then started uh, up at Poly and it's been uh, an awesome second career on the beach. So, I mean, I, I, I'm honest about it. I feel like I've been blessed um, to, to have basically a tan every, every year uh, because I'm working on the beach and I put that working in quotations for sure. Yeah. And you've done an amazing job building uh, that Cal Poly program, right? So if you took over in 15, 16 ish, uh, right, I think by 2018, maybe you guys were a mainstay in the top 20 uh, yeah. and, and making appearances in the NCAA tournament. What was it like to build the program at Poly, um, right, starting out from, hey, I'm going to be an assistant at part time to, OK, I'm going to run the show to now we're going to be really good and we're going to bring in, you know, now you have one of the most amazing assistants in the country. In fact, yeah. I mean, I don't I, we'll get into Angela later, but I think I think we gotta we gotta start with that building piece, right? How did it start? What did it look like? Did you know the vision, or was it something you kind of did trial by fire? Uh, there was definitely a vision and a lot of support by the administration. Uh, I mean, Sam the the Sam Crossan was in total support. Like, hey, I, I think you know we're getting in early enough to the beach scene that a mid major like uh, you know Cal Poly um, could you know, make, make a splash basically. And, uh, and so the support was, was there from him. The support was there from the AD, the administration, um, the, the lead development, um, athletic director, uh, cause a lot of, and still is actually a lot of the money is, is basically development money. It's donors, um, and boosters and stuff like that. It's not, you know, fully funded by the school and certainly, you know, was, was very small funded by the school to start off. Uh, but there was, you know, there was, there was a buzz basically, you know, I, I, I took over the job and there was a, a lot of gals that were interested in transferring to, uh, to Cal Poly. Uh, there were a lot of friends out there in the, in, you know, in the world of beach volleyball that were like, Hey, I got this gal. She's 16, 17, 18, whatever the, the age. And she'd really like to play for you. I think you'd be a great fit for her. Um, and so we, we pretty quickly had three, four five gals that were, very good. Um, had a couple of local gals that were also very good that were going elsewhere. But then when we started the beach program and made it into an actual beach program, not just an extension of the indoor program, uh, they wanted to stay and, and come to Cal Poly. So a lot of things kind of just coalesced together. Uh, we also, I mean, on the, on the indoor team, there were actually five or six good, very good beach players. Like that grew up playing beach in San Diego, um, whose moms, you know, I don't know if you guys know the, the Strand sisters, but you probably know the Van Windens, Adley and uh, Tori Van Winden. You know, they were Adley was at Cal Poly. Then Tori transferred from UCLA to Cal Poly um, to play indoor and beach. So, you know, they grew up playing beach volleyball. Um, this other gal, Taylor Nelson, was a really good beach player, um, Ryan Grison. So there was a lot of gals that on the indoor team that were good indoor players that, you know, so it's just kind of there had, you know, that three or four or five indoor players couple of locals, a couple of gals that recruited basically, you know, borderline through connections and people that thought that they would suit it. And all of a sudden in 18, I think we were number four ranked at, at one point in time, um, two years later. So, uh, yeah, it just kind of was a perfect storm, uh, and still riding that storm, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. And at the time, right. So you, you start off, I think one of your first assistant hires is Allie Wheeler and you pick up wheels from, from yep. USC, a couple of national championships there. And then um, I think uh, Ari, right? Ari coached yep. for you for a brief yep. period. And then 
Chrissy Jones. So you, you've done this great job of also, I mean, shoot, Chrissy Jones is a head coach in the right now at, at Cal. We we played her earlier this uh, this fall. Oh, with, okay. With Southeastern is hilarious. You know, Billy's her assistant. Uh, oh, Billy okay. Allen. I did not know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I walk out there and it's it's Chrissy, Billy, Janelle is their director of ops. Oh, okay. And myself, I'm like, what are the odds that we got four beach coaches walking around this indoor, this high level That's indoor match? Um, right. So you've done a great job of of kind of producing really great young coaches. And what has that process been like for you? And was that something you intended to do or did it just kind of come through uh, natural ability, I guess? A little bit of both. Uh, you know, we weren't we actually were not funded for a second assistant or I mean, for even a first assistant until Joe came over. Um, that was the very first year that we had any money for assistant coaching. Um I think we had a small stipend for Chrissy and a small stipend um, for Ari, but they were, they were literally, you know, a thousand dollars a month or something tiny like that. Um, So it ended up, it was more just someone getting their masters, you know, like, you know, Chrissy had a two-year masters. So she played for me. Um, Allie wanted to get her masters in business, Um, loved slow. Her sister went to slow. Uh, Her mom went to slow. So there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of people that, connections in San Luis Obispo show, you know, it worked out. Hey, I want to get myself well, on a coach. Yeah. I'd love to coach you. That'd be fun. And she was trying to be pro. So then I could help her with her pro career. Uh, and then Chrissy, the same thing. She was in the second master, second year of her masters, help her pay for her masters. She helps coach granted that was COVID year. Um, and then Ari comes over from Hawaii. Um, and she just wanted to kind of be involved. And I also wanted, I liked having a younger, uh, female assistant that could relate to the current gals, particularly one that was looking to, you know, had goals in the sport, um, particularly as a pro maybe with Allie and, and Chrissy for sure. Uh, and so, you know, kind of continued that with Amy Ozzy and then Mariah Whalen, uh, cause she didn't get her extra year last year. Uh, so, you know, we had Joe with the, when we got the, the funding for that position. Uh, and then when Joe got the head coach at Davis, which I was super stoked for him on, uh, you know, Angela and I had talked years before, like five or six years before about how she'd love to work with me and loves slow and loves Cal Poly. And, um, you know, when, when Joe got hired, she was at Stanford full time. So I, I didn't reach out cause I, I felt uncomfortable doing so like taking her from Andrew. And, uh, so this time I was like, well, she's not working anywhere. So I'm going to reach out, reached out. She said, I would love to, um, had some actually great candidates to be honest with you. had some really good candidates. Um, and, uh, but she was my, my number one. Uh, and, uh, she said, yeah, let me see if I can make this work, but I want to be in. And then she, she came in. So a little bit different, obviously, um, you know, Joe's obviously an older guy like me. Um, Angela's a little bit older than me. And usually I've had the, the younger female. Um, but Angela's bit, you know, I mean, she's, She's done it all. Um, player, head coach, assistant coach, multiple different programs. I mean, there's really not much she hasn't seen. So it was a, it was honestly it was a great opportunity I felt for me to learn as well. Um, I you know, I mean, she's told me say I want to learn from you, but I mean, for me, I look at it more like, hey, you're the experienced one here. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of experience and chops, but um, that's been a real joy for me is just listening to her. She's got an intensity about her, connects really well with uh, the gals on the team. Uh, so I, mean, I, I could sit here and sing her praises. You guys already know it all. Um, she's she's just got a ma- an amazing resume, and it's been a real blessing working with her. 
when when it comes to like your coaching style and your pairing people up and understanding the different strategic uh, moves that you can make with different pairs. Do you guys keep systems in place with your offense and defense? Are you switching it up pair to pair? Like what, what would, if no one's seen Cal Poly play, what would you say is something that you're going to see across the board from all your pairs? So, I mean, I would love to say, uh, okay, so we are definitely, we have an offensive system. We have a defensive system. There's no doubt. Um, can everyone implement that uh, to the to the degree we'd like? Uh, if I'm being honest, the answer is absolutely not. Um, our I, I will say though that our top you know our top 16 gals um, they can they can implement it. You know, obviously the higher you get, the better it's going to be. Um, I think that would be any program or even the elite level. The higher you get, the better that so there's a reason why they're higher. Uh, so everyone's trying to implement it. I have a, a handful of gals that are still kind of, you know, working the kinks out, if you will. Um, and so I think the majority of them are working to, certainly in practice, I will say, they're all working to run the syst- our systems. Uh, but in games, sometimes that goes the, by the way, wayside because they get nervous or whatever. Or they just, sometimes they just don't, they're, they're so caught up in, and still maybe chasing the game rather than being ahead of the game that, uh, you know, they just start going into basic triangle setting or, you know, not using their hands and bump setting or something like that. So uh, I like to think that if you watched every single one of our pairs that you would come away and be like, yeah, they, they've got a full on system there. They've got a, a number system. Um, it's both done before the play has started, but also can be audibleized into um so it's it's been pretty fun actually. I really enjoyed it. Joe and I kind of started it, uh, and then Angela um, wanted actually was the first thing she said. She's like, "I want to do the system." Da, 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 da. And I said, "Actually, I have this whole number system already." And she's like, "Oh, this is awesome!" She's all fired up because we'd already kind of gone down the way, but we do have a lot of newbies, so we've been teaching it to them. But uh, yeah, so it was, it was a good actually. It was one of our best first talks and one of our best talks because she, she was really hesitant about. Cause it's, you know, it's pretty, it's aggressive. It's what you're seeing out there on the elite level and, you know, incorporates jump setting and stuff like that. And, um, and I was like, yeah, we're already going down this road, Angela. So you're just going to add even that much more. And she was super happy about that. It's actually been a lot of fun. It's been trying, um, but a lot of fun watching the gals, uh, try and implement that system. I mean, it's, it's funny cause you guys I'm sure have watched it. You, know, you watch some of the better teams implement a, a true offensive system and a spread system with, you know, attacking on two and whatnot. And a lot of them like the Swedes and Andy and miles. I mean, even, even to a degree, uh, Sarah and Kelly, you know, kind of make it look easy. Um, but it's freaking really hard <laughs> um, to do it every single time. And it just goes to show how good they are uh, that they can make it kind of just look, Oh yeah, this is what we do. And this is how we do it. Just, you know, pattern, pattern yourself after us. It's easy. Then you get out there and it ain't so easy. On that same note, do you ever jump in and show them that the professor still has what it takes to be at the top of the game? <laughs> uh, I, I jump in a lot less now. Um, if, if there's a need, I'll jump in. Uh, but yeah, usually no, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, every once in a while I'll do, you know, I'll jump into something. I do run, I run track workouts with them. We do that. So I do that with them. Um, I'll suffer with them uh, for sure. Uh, but I honestly, I don't jump in too often. There's enough gals and enough people in there that I feel like I'm taking away touches um, okay. from someone else. And I, I, 
I rarely want to do that. Uh, so it's rare every once in a blue moon. Uh, but most of the time, no, I, I just used to like to talk smack and <laughs> they can't really talk back if they, you don't know, see me play and getting older and, you know, they, they, they can't really say anything. So I got to keep it that way. There you go. Yeah. You got to let them know. Um, it's definitely, we have, a uh, you know, Steve Grotowski at FAU. He'll, uh, yeah. he'll occasionally, if they have an odd number at practice, he'll write on the board that Stephanie's playing and the <laughs> it happens all the freshmen are like who's stephanie is this some new girl what's going on and then he'll walk out there right he'll start thumping <laughs> balls and letting them know so talking about that right you've had the opportunity bringing cal poly to such great levels of success um had the opportunity to go and probably take different jobs some jobs that people would consider uh really right gold standard top tier you know best thing in the country available What's kept you at Poly? What's kept you wanting to build that program at Slow? Uh, the first thing when I you know first got the job um, was family. Uh, my you know my daughter and my son were still in high school. Uh, I think you know Hannah was going into her senior year. My son was in his freshman year. Um, so you know for me it was a real easy one to be like, okay, the next four years I ain't going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> you know Melissa, my wife, and I really love where we live. Um, so for the first four years, it was piece of cake. I, I didn't really have a desire to go anywhere. I wanted to see what I could do there. Um, you know, San Luis Obispo has been voted, I don't know how many times the happiest city in the country kind of a thing. So it's a beautiful place to live. Um, you know, I like, I do like to surf. I'm in, like outdoor stuff. So a lot of that stuff is kind of a no brainer, um, being there. Uh, and I, and I truly believe, and I still believe that, we can build a national championship program. Uh, is it going to be more difficult than say, you know, taking a job at USC or Texas or, you know, some power five conference? Yep. It's totally is. Cause there's just money flowing out of those programs. And now with NIL, it's flowing out of there even more. Uh, I mean, um, you know, the, the trend, the transfer portal and the way that that can just stack up talent. Uh, but I feel like, you know, there's, there's a quality of life that maybe you, you leave behind, um, you know, I mean, from a, from a personal perspective as a player, you know, I reached the pinnacle, um, and I'd love to do so as a coach. Um, but I don't, I don't know, to me taking over a program that's already super high end. Okay. That's cool. Um, and, and yes, I would, I always look at those and see, okay, what's, what's better for, for me. And, and now it's just, you know, Melissa, my wife and I, basically, um, my son is in his last year of college. Hannah's graduated. Um, so, I mean, I, I would still absolutely look at it, but the reality is, is we're pretty happy and my, I like my quality of life and I will not sacrifice. And actually, even as a player, I never sacrificed my quality of life or my family's quality of life, um, to win a tournament, uh, or win an NCAA championship. I just, I won't do that. I, I I want a lot of buckets full. Uh, I don't want one bucket and put it all in there. And then now I, you know, you don't win and you've got, it feels like you have emptiness. Uh, so I'd rather have a lot of full buckets and hopefully I can fill that bucket uh, at Cal Poly. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you've done a great job, but I also think it's kind of a, an inspiration right now of a lot of young coaches. There's been the most movement in college beach volleyball. Um, I think that we've seen over the last couple of years and I'm no better. Shoot. I think I'm at my fifth school in seven years <laughs> of being in the sport. So, uh, and three of those I was in college. Uh, well, so you're also, I mean, Colin, you're, what are you, 20, 
five, six. 25. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier to move when I have, uh, it's just my stuff that I have to move. There's no wife and kids right. associated with it, but I do really value the perspective of somebody who's done a lot of things at a high level and continues to do them at a high level, uh, finding value in the balance of it all. I think at 25, it's really easy. You know, I'm coaching indoor and beach right now. It's really easy for me to spend every pretty much waking hour uh, working. Uh, it's a lot harder to put stuff into other buckets, mm -hmm. uh, as you said. And so luckily I've gotten to chat with people like you and people like Beth Van Fleet over at Georgia State, who we have a running joke that we mention her once a week on this podcast because we both love Beth a lot. And um, trying to invest in the whole thing because life is about a whole lot more. So it, it means a lot to hear from somebody that has had a lot of success that so you can do both. You can, you can have a quality of life outside of your, your job and also be really good at your job. Um, yeah, I, I got a really, a, a very nice compliment. Um, and it was from a trainer of another player, a guy named Mike Rangel. He was Karch's trainer actually. Uh, and he basically went, you know what? I think the reason you're successful, uh, he said, is I think because this isn't this isn't your life. You have so many other things that are so much more important than just being a beach volleyball player. And yet so many of these guys out here, this is their life. Like this is all they care about. And they put everything in there. Uh, and I, I, I told him, thank you. I, I agree. I try and have a very, you know, this is my job. Um, and I'm going to do the best that I can be at my job, but I'm not going to sacrifice my personal life, my family, um, quality time spent doing other things that make me happy uh, for, and I'm just, you know, Colin, just so you know, just even like you, I could spend all day working as well. Um, but I literally, uh, you know, I've got like sticky notes all over the place and I have <laughs> stuff in there that I've got to do for work, but then I've got stuff that I've got to do at home. Sometimes they're chores. Sometimes they're just fun stuff, you know, take the dogs for a walk, like that kind of stuff. So, like making sure that I have that balance and keeping that in there. And I'm a big sticky note guy and that, you know, I look at it and I cross it off after I'm done. And yes, I got a lot of work to do and it always, but it's always going to be there and there's always more you could do. So it's kind of like, you know what, I'm going to make sure I do what I'm supposed to do. And, and honestly, if I'm being honest, I probably do a little bit more than what I'm just supposed to do. But I also think that that's what a good coach would do anyways. Um, and then keeping a balance in those other areas too. Yeah. And speaking of work to do, right, you mentioned you've got a young squad, a lot yep. of these. What is uh, the project in mind for for Cal Poly um, going forward? We do have a really young squad. We have actually 11 returners uh, total and 13 new players. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of newbies, not all freshmen. Uh, we have nine freshmen, though, um, and then four transfers. So... <laughs> Getting people up to speed uh, this this fall has been one of the biggest tasks, no doubt. Uh, just from a sense of terminology, uh, getting to know people, uh, just with so many new people, and then you know combining the 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 old bees with the newbies. Uh, that's been uh, a fun, actually, an enjoyable task, uh, but it has been part of it, and. You know, it won't be nearly as bad in the coming years because we already have a pretty large team. Um, so we won't have 13 new players coming in in all likelihood. Um, but yeah, it's been a, a kind of, we started off right off the bat with terminology, offensive terminology, what our system is, same thing with defense. 
and pretty you know, two or three weeks in, I think everyone pretty much had it pretty close to, uh, there's still a few bubbles. Someone would say a certain thing and they'd be like, ah, oh, kind of freeze up and chowder a ball. Cause they're, they couldn't process it quickly enough that, you know, this is what they wanted set. Uh, but rarely, I, I haven't seen that happen too often. Uh, and we just played in Santa Monica and Huntsville and I, I think everyone's got it pretty dialed down now. So should be fun. I mean, we're, like I said, we are talented we're just, we're young. Uh, and right now we're actually winning a fair amount. Um, but our losses for the most part, especially against better teams are just, it's like, it's not hard to see it. It's just experience, uh, and understanding it's not, we're not getting out physical or anything like that. It's just, okay. Yeah. That's, you know, that's someone who's played for the last couple of years and is really, really good on SC or UCLA or Long Beach or whoever the other teams we played. Okay. Yeah. Like we're just as physical at the net. We can move as well, if not better, but we just, we don't have the understanding of the game and we don't move as quickly. Uh, and that's where we're trying to get up to speed. And one of the things I keep talking about to our team right now is you know, we are young, but we are very talented. Recognize that as you learn these things and you got to get them to stick as quickly as possible, because if you want to compete um, at the elite level, at the top 10 level, we got to get these things sticking. We can't constantly go back. Yes, we will always go back and 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 redo, et cetera, to a degree. But the faster these things stick for you guys, the, or you gals, I should say, uh, the better we're going to be because we can move on to the next thing and implement that. And uh, so they, they've taken that to heart and they've been doing a pretty darn good job at it. Um, it's been it's been a fun fall so far. Got two weeks left, but I, I suspect it'll be pretty good ending in Hawaii, of course. Yeah, not a lot of uh, complaints probably from the team about having to go out to the islands and taking uh, everyone. You're taking it. That's a good. That's a great coaching decision, if I may. If I may. Everyone's going to end fall real happy. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That'll make the end of semester meetings uh, very, very enjoyable to exactly. go around. Exactly. Uh, you did. Uh, you did bring up a phrase that I meant to meant to talk to you about. I think we've got to get. You said chowder, right? And so. <laughs> I wore, uh, I say it all the time. Anytime one of our girls will double a ball, I'll, I'll yell out chowder. Uh, and they think that it's like the dumbest thing that you could say. Uh, <laughs> I also will, will say sauce or butter. Uh -huh. yeah. somebody, nectar. And yeah. so they joke that we should do a, a beach volleyball like brand shirt. So P1440 used to have like a big stick of butter. And it would say butter mm -hmm. on the back, right? So we really need to... If Beach Nation wants to get something rolling with chowder T-shirts, um, let me know. I'd be happy to be an investor in that in that program. But actually, uh, Mark Fishman, when we first started Beach Nation, came up with, and I don't know if he still has it or not, if I have it, a list. And I mean, it was, I, I must have been 50, 60, 70 words that were volleyball related, like chowder or nectar or butter or what, you know whatever it was, uh, you know, Cuddy Sark. It was like all this stuff that related to, uh, you know, great set, horrible set, great cut shot, whatever it was. Uh, man, that'd be a fun little, that would be a fun t-shirt actually to put just all that stuff on the front and the back or in some way, shape or form. I'll have to ask him if he still has that or not. I mean, this was six or seven years ago. I think he made that up, but it was a good list of it. Uh, so I'll find out for you. Yeah, Beach Nation down in Clearwater. You're going down there in a, a few weeks, right? For yeah, ECC. ECC. Yeah, maybe we uh, maybe we all sit around the table. We get a bunch of coaches together and we run them all <laughs> back, and then Mark can get this thing rolling. Because uh, there you I'm, go. 
Unsolved. I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to make mention of that to him. Perfect. No, you, you've been around the beach game for many, many years. You played pro you've been in the college beach game now for quite a long time where you're seeing different, uh, forms of it. What would you say would be the biggest step next for NCAA beach volleyball? And what would you like to see out of the NCAA beach volleyball game? I think what's going to happen is, uh, and you're already starting to see it happen at the elite level and a little bit at the college level, is uh, the advent of running actual offensive systems. Um, defensive systems, to a degree, they're a little bit there, but I think it's the offensive systems that some of these elite pros are running. Um, it's To me, it's kind of inevitable. Uh, you're still going to have your vanilla volleyball and triangle setting and whatnot. That's still going to have to be a staple because – you're not passing in system every single time, just like a high ball uh, in, in indoors is going to be still a staple. You, you got to have someone that can hit the high ball and, and get some kills for you in transition or on a shank pass. Um, so this, those things still are there, but I just think that systematic setting, um, attacking on two and putting pressure on the block defense, um, but particularly the blocker uh, is just going to get more and more prevalent throughout. Um, it's one of the things that I, you know, literally Five, six years ago, uh, I had a conversation with Andrew Fuller. He had just gotten the Stanford job, uh, and we had a little thing at Pismo um, preseason. He's like, man, all your girls are handsetting. Like, how are you getting them to handset? Do you think that's good for the for the game? And da 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 And I was like, you know, everyone thinks girls can't handset. I don't understand why. Um, like, And I kind of came from the mindset of, I don't know if you guys know um, Larissa. You guys probably know Larissa. Uh, and she was one of the best setters in the world for years and years and years. And she wasn't this big, you know, gnarly hands, but she had butter hands, just sweet. And I was like, you know what? She can do it. Why can't everyone just learn how to handset? You just got to start and then eventually get the mindset. Uh, and so I you know, saw the advent of now everyone handsets. Uh, and it started, you know, whatever, five, six years ago at the club level. And now it's pretty much in the collegiate level. And so the next one is going to be, okay, now are we setting like different angles and hitting on two and vision and all this kind of stuff? And of course that takes athleticism. So I don't suspect. Uh, you know, I suspect the college game won't emulate the top, top pros um, just because the lack of athleticism, uh, you know, as a whole in the college game relative to the best, literally the best players in the world, it's just not going to be there consistently. You might have a few, but uh, but I think more and more teams are going to go there and you're already starting to see that um, more and more. So I think that's going to be the biggest change in the NCAA beach landscape over the next, you know, if I were to say three years, I think. In three years, I bet you everyone's got a team that's probably implementing some degree of an offensive system where there's a spread and really attacking the blocker on two and spreading them out in both directions uh, and making them make decisions. Uh, and if you make the right one, you're you know basically no one up, um, so which is a lot of fun. So I think that will be a, a big change that's coming in the next three years. Yeah, it's a lot like uh, you hear, you know, Football players go from college to the NFL, right? They'll talk about the speed of the game has changed. Uh, and I, I definitely, when you talk about the spread, right, it's like, can we not just get them to move, but can we get them to move in a speed that they're not comfortable with? Can we create right. a situation where in indoor, we're trying to create speed to the pins so that we get single block situations. Yep. In beach, we're trying to get out of position block situations or, or nobody up. Uh, yep. Pull defense. That's, Nothing better than setting something out to a pin that you set really well. They just pulled because they didn't know what to do. They knew they weren't going to get out there. And 
and now yep. you've got open net rip. So, uh, well, Todd, thank you so much for for coming on Coaches on the Beach. We really appreciate it. Uh, I've very much valued getting to talk to you over the years, from the COVID year at Cal State Northridge all the way through to to today. I, I really appreciate it. So, thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate uh, being on and. Uh... Looking forward to seeing you guys hopefully sometime uh, sometime this year. And best of luck to you and your teams. Colin, best of luck to you uh, in your indoor team as well. Hopefully you win your next one and uh, get the number one seed. Yeah, I appreciate it. Good luck to you guys in Hawaii. I'll be uh, I'll be hoping for good weather and, and good poke the whole time. Uh, I'm pretty sure that will happen no matter what time you ever <laughs> go to Hawaii. That's just par for the course. <laughs> Thank you, Riff.